How's it going everyone? This is Nico Cuevas, the creative director at Smart Marketing, and welcome to the very first episode of Juice vs. Squeeze, the show where we help you market smarter, not harder. On the first episode, we have our good friend Jason Jordan, who is a pastor of Westside Church of God in Popper Bluff, Missouri. Jason actually took the time to teach a workshop called How to Win at Work, Learning the Art of Communication at our co-working space called Smart Space here in Popper Bluff, Missouri. Jason's not just one of the best communicators I know personally. He's uh, a fantastic communicator and he's, he's a great pastor and gives great sermons. And uh, he's, he's actually just also one of the best communicators out there. He's, he's really great and, and really personable. And I think for anyone who's into marketing, you can learn a lot from him. You can learn a lot from the way that he's he's able to engage people and, and he's, he's really focused in on what it means to tell a story. And for marketers, that's really what we should be trying to do. So I'm really excited that the first episode of this podcast uh, gets to be this workshop because he does a great job and uh, I hope you guys really enjoy it. Without further ado, here's Jason Jordan. It's all downhill from here now, That's right. right? Yeah. Hey guys, I'm excited to be here with y'all today and um, just getting a feel. We did this the first time. And so today um, we're going to walk through the same stuff. Um, uh, I am a pastor here in town, which uh, requires me obviously to stand up in front of people and speak. But before any of that, I am a husband to Courtney and we've been married almost 10 years and then a father of three. That's our son, Roman, and then our middle, Andy Grace, and then Piper Graham. And um, I have been around public speaking for quite some time. I'm the youngest of four boys in my family. My dad was a pastor and I was born, I think, on like a Tuesday. And on that next Sunday, I was already in church listening, uh, obviously not understanding a sermon or anything (laughs) like that. But I say all of that to say, um, I believe in the art of communication. And I think what's interesting is no matter how technologically advanced we get, Uh, Let's take Steve Jobs. Uh, If he's going to unveil the new iPhone or the iPad Air or anything like that, he still stands up in front of a group of people and talks about the product. Um, No matter else what's going on in the world, many of us with an inaugural address or a State of the Union address, our president will stand up and communicate and use words um, to speak with people. And so when it comes to this idea of communication, we're going to walk through um, a few things. But one thing that's um, always stuck out to me, this is a picture of a man by the name of Abraham Heschel. And um, Abraham Heschel was a Jewish rabbi. And he grew up um, during uh, one of the Great World Wars. And his daughter Susan, um, Abraham marched with Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, spoke at universities and was a highly sought-after scholar and speaker. And when he passed away, his daughter Susan um, was interviewed about what was it like to grow up in Abraham Heschel's home. I mean, this guy is like Gandalf-wise, you know? And um, one of the things she said is, anytime that we used words flippantly in our home, our father would correct us. And he would sit us down, and here's the direct quote. He would often say, words are... He often wrote, words are themselves sacred, God's tool for creating the universe in our tradition, and our tools for bringing in holiness or evil into the world. He used to remind us that the Holocaust 
did not start with the building of crematories, and Hitler did not rise to power by building tanks and guns. It all began with uttering words, words of defamation, with language and propaganda. You see, my dear Susan, words create worlds. Words create worlds. I love that idea, and, and that's true when you think about it. Um, words do create worlds. And even when you think about Abraham Heschel talking about the rise to power of that great regime, <coughs> there was no tanks, there was nothing like that. It was, it was speeches. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about a number of things today, but primarily we're going to focus in on that key phrase, words create worlds. And if words create worlds, that begs this question of you. Whether you're in a startup business, whether you're in an established business, whether you're an employee who just has to read the minutes or do whatever in the morning, if words create worlds, it leads us to this. The language you use <coughs> shapes the culture that you lead. I believe that the number one most powerful thing that you have or the thing that is to your greatest advantage at your business or your startup, in your classroom, whatever your background is, is not your ROI, return on investment, is not investors, is not this, is not that, is not technology or the things that you don't have. I think it's your words and the way that you communicate. Because if words create worlds, it begs this question, what world are you creating? What world are you creating in your environment, in your workspace, in your home, in your business, any of those things? And so what we're going to walk through today can be applicable on a number of levels. So if you have to give formal speeches and like stand up and give a baccalaureate address or something like that, okay, this will be applicable for that. Um, it'll be applicable if you have to make a, make a pitch to an investor or do anything like that. It'll be applicable if you have to convince your kids why they need to take out the trash or do something like that. Here's what I want to do. Since we're a small group today, um, I want us, if you got a question at any moment, and if I say something that's not clear, just shoot your hand up and we can just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation or do anything like that. But if we're getting into this idea of communication and if words create worlds and we're asking what world am I creating, if the language I use shapes the culture we lead, this understanding of communication um, is, is difficult really to nail down. How do we define it? What, what is communication? Or I should say effective communication. And this is the definition that we're going to work with today. Communication is the art of delivering information in such a way that produces transformation. That's communication. Um, if it's communicating if it's delivering information and that's it, that's a lecture and that's a robot, okay? I think each one of us, and you signed up and are here at this event because when you communicate and you speak, you have a desire to see change. And, and think about it. That's from a corporate level, from a business level, but that's also like on a personal level in the conversations with our spouses, with our kids, or anything like that. We want to be able to learn, how can I use my words to bring about transformation? 
And so when it comes to communication is the art of delivering information in such a way that produces transformation. I want to walk through uh, a few things today. And you've got a little handout there, and, and this is really all the information that I'm going to be walking through. And so have that by you and all of that. We're going to do a number of things. We're going to look at name it, frame it, aim it, and proclaim it, okay? And so I, I, I have an assumption in mind that you have a desire um, or you have a position that requires you to speak or there's something coming up or there's an idea or your business or something like that. And so I think with these uh, four things that we're going to walk through, I think this will be a great skeleton for you to put together a formal address or have to sit down across from a cup of coffee and fire somebody or something like that, okay? So the first thing that we're going to look at is this, um, which is name it. And you have to ask this question when it comes to it. What about this excites me? So our firstborn Roman um, made us parents, right? And I'll never forget going and hearing the heartbeat for the first time. That was intense, and you cry, and that's just, wow, you know? But um, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or girl, and I'm incredibly impatient. Amazon Prime isn't fast enough for me, so we weren't going to be one of those couples that's like, we're going to wait to find out, right? I'll try to find out as quick as possible. And when we went in for our next visit and, and realized and found out that it was going to be a boy, um, wow. And then we, we started picking out names and um, landed on the name Roman for personal reasons. But, but think about that process. Um, we got news that we were pregnant more so my wife than me. And um, we got that news, and then we, we heard the heartbeat, and then we started thinking and pondering, and then we find out that it's a boy, and then, then that boy has a name. And so now our mind goes, what's he going to be like? What's he going to sound like? What's... No matter what you're doing in communication, um, you have to find out what you're trying to say. So if you have an investor or if you're trying to make a pitch or if you're trying to rebrand your business or if you're an employee or if you're in a position of leadership, you need to write out on a piece of paper, this is what I'm trying to say and name it, whether it's an interest rate or this, that, or the other. I mean, we don't have to start with rocket science. It's a blank sheet of paper. This is what I'm trying to say. So you've named it, right? And then, then you have to ask yourself, what about this excites me? Um, for some of you, I don't know what position you hold or your background, um, this might be difficult, you know, if it's a safety training or something like that that you've given a thousand times or this, that, and the other. You've got to find what I like to call the golden nugget that excites you. So for me, um, I spend about 10 to 15 hours a week in study and in preparation of um, basically writing like a uh, formal paper for a college almost. And then I spend uh, somewhere around close to two hours on a Sunday, we have two services, um, delivering that information. And so my job is very heavily requires communicating and doing all of this. But if you know me and know what I'm teaching, um, there is always something in my sermon or a talk where you realize, ooh, he seems excited about that. And because I have to do this every week, the most depressing time for me is my drive home from church on Sunday. Because I realize, well, that's done. 
and tomorrow's Monday, right? And here it comes again. And Monday, I go in my office, I see this to-do list, and then there's a blank piece of paper, and here we go again. And so what keeps us going back at it all the time again is what about this excites me? Listen, this can be as simple. If you have to just read attendance, find a name that's cool. That you're like, oh, that's a cool, unique name. Great. That's something in that that excites you. So name it. Now, this is not just a concept, right? This is now something that I'm going to be speaking, this name it. And then the next thing is this. I think in, in my background, um, preaching or communicating um, has this idea, is a megaphone, someone on a soapbox yelling really loud. And sometimes people think effective communication is the louder you are, the better it is. And um, that's wrong, right? That's horribly wrong. But if, if you take a megaphone and, and turn it upside down, you have a funnel. And a megaphone blasts information. A funnel siphons information. And so you have all types of, of stuff that you're putting in, and then you have this concentrated area where the crystallized statements are coming out. And so I think in the beginning when you start to try to communicate formally, there's always the fear of what am I going to say, right? What am I going to say? <coughs> but once you sit down and name it and then answer what about this excites me, everything else is going to start coming naturally for you. And the problem will shift from what am I going to say to what am I not going to say? And then that's where the funnel and the megaphone come in. The next thing is this, um, social media has changed the way we communicate, just point blank, flat, simple. Um, this is outdated um, because Twitter is no longer 180 characters or less, it's 240. But um, if you follow, like let's take for example, um, let's do the history of the presidencies. Um, Abraham Lincoln changed the game because he knew that most people would not hear him speak. That's why the inaugural address is 170 words. Because he knew most people wouldn't hear that. They would read that. And the people he was trying to reach didn't have very high education. So why would he wax eloquent when people that he's communicating to have a short attention span? Let's fast forward to um, John F. Kennedy. Do you know why John F. Kennedy beat Richard Nixon? not just because of his strikingly good looks, but the television. So when you read the history behind the first debate, Richard Nixon had just come out of an intense meeting, had a five o'clock shadow, he was sick, he looked pale, he looked like he was dying under those camera lights. John F. Kennedy just came back from Maine from a vacation. He was all tan and good looking, makeup and all of that, and he wooed the people and he spoke in such a way that was captive. Fast forward even more to this day, and people talk about now, there has never been a time where a president has been able to go around the press, like our current president, who uses social media. And so I say all that to say this. If you can't crystallize your statement and what you're saying, so when you're taking, this is what I have to say, and that, that, that can be half a page, that can be 10 pages or whatever, when you start to condense that down, you need to be able to do that in 180 characters or less, or what I like to say, the shark tank pitch, right? 
So I love Shark Tank. And what I love is when they walk in, they say, this is my name, this is my product, I'm seeking you know, $100,000 for 2% of my company, to which Mr. Wonderful goes, 2%, right? And then they do that. But what they've just done is they've crystallized what they were trying to say. And um, I think social media is, is a great thing for this. Now, sometimes, depending upon your background, sometimes that's impossible to do. But for you, if you're able to have that sentence or that statement inside of you, the act of delivering that is going to be a lot better. So name it. What about this excites me? Funnel versus megaphone. It's not about blasting information, but funneling the information. 180 characters or less. Make the statement stick. Um, that's just, I can't overstate that enough. And then uh, this is just helpful. Rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. So there is a ton of cognitive um, research on child psychology and children learn through rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. This is the way we brush our teeth, brush our teeth, brush, right? So if you want to be an effective communicator, watch Sesame Street, right? Baby shark, do, 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 do. All right, you thought you were going to get away from it, right? I mean, there's a reason why in Saturday night at 11 o'clock when you're trying to get home and you're buckling them into their car seat and they're melting down, all of a sudden it's, I want to hear this, or they throw a Sesame Street statement out to you. It's because this, the simplicity of rhyme, rhythm, and repetition is known in the human brain. So I think a practical way to do this is if you are, this is what I need to say, there's my sentence. I would look at that sentence as I start to boil that down, and I would circle and highlight keywords, right? So let's say it's um, you're, you're trying to make a sales pitch and get an investor, <coughs> right? Um, and the important words in that, obviously, you've got to get that information across. But if you can make those things stick so that when somebody leaves the room, they know what you've said, that's, that's successful, right? So the first step is name it. What am I even going to say, right? That's important. Now we're going to get into some more boots on the ground, which is what I call frame it. Um, this is, you've got this here in your notes, but this is uh, Cicero's famous canonization. The Greeks apparently didn't have a day job. And so they just sat around and thought about a lot of stuff. And um, this style of argument has never been really improved upon. And so when it comes to framing this, um, I think this is why this is massively important. The first thing that you do when you frame it is what's called introduction. This is who I am. So one of the things that I did when I stood up was I showed you a picture of my family. And cognitively, what that did to you is it built a level of trust. So I'm a normal person now. I have three kids, seven, four, and two, which is a statement and a prayer request all at the same time, <laughs> right? And so what that did was, is it, it was a little bit of uh, relaxing. I don't know any other job, really, um, than someone who communicates for a living. I would study comedians. I mean, I mean if you're somebody who, who has to do this a lot, there's no other profession in the world where it's a microphone and a stool and they're up there for an hour, and, and, and they're holding people's attention and all of that. But one of the things comedians do is they take, like Jerry Seinfeld, I mean, he takes, you know, riding in the elevator 
And that's an hour long. It's a whole episode, you know? But what he's doing is, is, is he's making it real life. So anytime that you have to give a formal address or if you have to you know, talk to a room full of people or do anything, giving a little bit of background about who you are um, is, is massively important. What's really important is deflecting, though. And so um, oftentimes people, you break trust when you demand something from someone. And, and when you deflect like an inadequacy or something like that and you reveal that, I'll put it this way. I read this in a leadership book. Our strengths impress people, but our weaknesses connect us to people. So if you want to be impressive, that's cool. You can show your strengths. But if you want to connect with people, if you reveal a weakness of some sort, and that can be just a simple statement of, well, it's all downhill from here, right? These things cognitively make a difference. So introduction, this is who I am. And then this is what's called narration. Um, This is my goal, right? So I had a big idea. I said, why are we here? What's communication? Communication is the art of delivering information in such a way that produces transformation. Um, Have you ever been to a restaurant and your waiter or waitress comes up to the table and you ask, hey, what are the specials tonight? There's two responses. The first one is, oh, we've got (coughs) tilapia and we've got this and it's awesome. The second response is, I'm not sure. Let me go check. Uh Uh-oh. We got problems. Why do we have problems? Because now if this is a three-second window of how the rest of my evening is going to go, I feel unprepared. I feel, I feel that you're unprepared and, and I don't trust you, right? So, so when you're a speaker and you stand up and after you've introduced yourself and you say, hey, today my objective is we're going to talk about communication. We're going to look at four areas. We're going to name it, frame it, aim it, and proclaim it. What you've just done is it's sort of like a tour guide. You've built trust with your people in such a way that they go, okay, I know where we're going. We're not going somewhere crazy. He's not going to have us stand up and greet each other like that awkward time at church or anything, right? It's like there's trust here now, and we're going to be able to do something together. And that's where you've already done that work of crystallizing that sentence of this is the main goal and the main objective. So there's introduction, this is who I am, narration, this is my goal, and then information, this is what I'm saying. This is where it gets difficult, Um with what not to say. Um, Mark Twain was very famous for saying, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you've told them, right? Um, I think that's, that's great advice. And, and the key is to always sort of pound one nail, if you will, even if it has to be a very broad presentation and there's multiple facets. Um, the big idea and the narration is, is like the hub of a wheel, right? So your wheel doesn't function if you don't have a centralized area. The information is the spokes that come off the hub that allow that thing to move forward. But if your spokes don't come to a central area, then then you're not going to be effective in, in what you're getting across. So you've introduced yourself, you've connected with your audience, the narration, this is what I'm going to say, this is my information, and then explanation. I know this sounds redundant, but this is what this means. So information is, this is what I'm saying. Explanation is, this is what this means. 
And if you want to get good at this, hang around kids, little kids, particularly toddlers. Because what do, what do toddlers force you to do? They force you to communicate well. For example, um, let's say I go into our kid's room and I tell Andy Grace, this room is a mess. Clean your room. And I leave and I come back and the room is still a mess. And then there, now there's confrontation. Andy Grace, I told you to clean your room. And she says, but I did clean it. I put my makeup away. And I, Andy Grace, this room is not clean. Question. Is Andy Grace the problem or is my lack of clarity the problem? Because here's the tension. Andy's standard of cleaning her room and my standard of her room being clean are two different things. I didn't clarify. I just said, clean your room. And so she put away a couple things, and in her mind, that was clean. See, what a kid will require you to do is what this means. So let's just walk through that. I'm your dad, Andy Grace. The main goal is for you to clean your room. Hey, Andy Grace, clean your room. Well, if we just stop there, we still have confrontation. But explanation is, hey, Andy, this is what cleaning your room is. I need your stroller, I need your Barbies, and I need those Legos put up. Now when I leave the room and come back in, now the, the problem's going to be on Andy, right? <laughs> okay. But, I mean, but when you hang around small children, they will force you to have to explain those things. And then I think this is the greatest technique ever is illustration. So he, here's what you're doing. This is who I am. <coughs> This is what my goal is. This is what I'm saying. This is what this means. This is what it's like. So anytime you see a, an effective teacher, I'll never forget being a freshman in high school in Mr. Bradley's uh, sociology class. No, it was just history class then. It wasn't even called sociology. And he held up a $1 bill. And he says, why is this worth a buck? You know, gold standard, nah, he said we were, and he was teaching us about economics. But what he didn't do is he didn't stand up and go, today we're going to learn about economics, right? He, he had that dollar bill, and then he used these illustrations. Effective communicators always place the information and the explanation next to something that says this is like this. And I mean, even when you think about it, no matter your background, um, Jesus, who I think was probably a pretty effective communicator, hence that we're still talking about him 2,000 years later, no matter what your opinion is, um, he said, you know, hey, I'm this guy who says that I've come from heaven. And people were like, oh, yeah, well, if you came from heaven, what's it like? And he goes, well, it's, a, it's like a farmer who has some seed, and he scatters seed out, and he goes out the next day, and the sun has hit it, and then the rain comes and it grows. It's, it's so interesting, anytime you see anybody communicate effectively, they, they illustrate and show what that is like. And for you, if, if you can learn that way, that's gonna be very effective for you when you communicate. And, and even on a personal one-on-one -on -one level, if you have to have a one-on-one -on -one confrontation with an employee or someone or anything like that, and you say, hey man, you, you keep showing up to work late all the time and now this is a problem. I'll never forget um, when I was in college I worked for my brother's construction company and 
the day that they, I was the lackey, I was the low man on the totem pole. So I just carried wood. Like I, they didn't give me a hammer, right? Or a nail gun or anything like that. I just carried wood. Well, I figured out on the day that they lay subfloor, which is like really heavy, it's like glued. I mean, it's just, my job was to carry that up two flights and lay that and the guys would lay it. Well, when I realized that I had worked there long enough um, and I knew what day we were gonna lay the subfloor, I didn't show up, right? I was sick, right? I'll never forget what Martin did when I came in the next day. He said, Jordan, come over here. And he sat me down and he said, hey, um, you missed yesterday. And we weren't able to lay the subfloor because I didn't have a guy stack it. And because we didn't lay the subfloor, we can't put up the walls. And because we can't put up the walls, we're not going to do the pitch on the roof. And because we didn't do the pitch on the roof, they can't get the shingles on. And because they can't get the shingles on, they're not going to be able to lay the drywall. And because they can't lay the drywall, then the painters aren't going to be able to come. All because you chose to miss a day. So what did he do? Jordan, you're late, and you're always late all the time. How effective would that have been for me, right? I would have been like, oh, great. Didn't shoot out again, right? But rather, he showed me, actually, that I, that I mattered. And then he illustrated and showed the consequences of, of my mistake on not showing up. So illustration is this is what this is like. And then the last thing, application. This is why this matters. If you don't get here, you failed, right? <coughs> if you don't tell people why this matters, it's a waste. I don't care if you can save them 7% on their home loan. If you don't explain why 7% is important, it's a waste. Rather than saying, hey, 7%, you could say, hey, I see that you've got you know, two kids, 7%. Multiplied by 10 years, you could probably afford a car for your daughter when she turns 16. That's why you should bank with us. Hello, right? That's a lot different. That's pretty important. And so um, I'm going to get real personal with you now, okay? I'm going to show you my sermon notes. <gasps> okay, right? Um, this is, uh, so if you have to give a formal address, I would recommend three stages, Okay. After you've done the name it and you're writing and you've got all type of stuff and you get ready to um, frame it and you start formally typing out, what I would recommend number one for you to do is to fully manuscript from the beginning to the end of what you're going to say. And here's why. Um, clarity. Write yourself clear. Write it all out. And then read it. And if you read it and go, this doesn't sound good, it doesn't sound good, okay? And then rewrite it. But I would recommend a third stage, which, um, so on my sermon notes, this is not everything I will say, but it's everything I must say. Something that reads well doesn't necessarily mean that it will be um, spoken well. <coughs> and just because it's spoken well doesn't mean it's going to read well. But the common thing in both of those is the process of you keep dropping that information down and you being aware of it. So I use just sort of like a broken manuscript, which is sort of like an outline. Um, 
I mean, I'll walk you through what I, so this is a review of what we did, a little bit of information. Then I go into an illustration. Uh, my color coding is blue is quotes or illustration. So blue is cool, green is go, green is main points, pink is hot. That deals with information. And then yellow, um, yellow is uh, like a main point. And then orange is application. And so I would highly recommend color coding because um, how effective would it be today if I came to teach you about communication is the art of delivering information, right? And so what the manuscript and then going to the outline does, it allows you to engage with people and then it allows you visually, if you color coat, to be able to bounce and look, if you already know your information, to be able to bounce and look up and still address your audience and your people. So name it, frame it, and then this. Uh, that, that's the last page. Um, aim it. There are three things that you're wanting to hit in your communication. I call them the head, the heart, and the hands. So going back, head, this is what I want them to know. That's the information. You're aiming this at something. This is what I want them to know. That's the head. But if you leave it at that, it's unsuccessful. The second thing is the heart. This is what I want them to feel. I mean, people, people always forget about emotions when it comes to communication. Um, I mean, think about, anybody see the, the Gillette commercial? Ooh, yeah, controversial, right? Um, there, that was all feels. I mean, I don't even know if I saw a single razor blade in the entire commercial, right? I mean, why? I mean, that was all emotion when it comes to that. But then the last thing is the hands. This is what I want them to do. The head, the heart, the hands. This is what I want them to know. This is what I want them to feel. This is what I want them to do. What's important is these all three have to work together. Um, you can't just speak to the head, right? That's Ivy League, and then you lose people. You can't just speak to the heart, then that's too emotional. And you can't just speak to the hands, go do this, without giving people the information. And so once you've named it and framed it, now, now you're aiming it. And what's cool, I, I think with these three, you could be talking to a room of first graders. You could be talking to college Ivy League students. You could be talking to people in a nursing home, or you could be talking to coworkers. I think everybody has those, the head, the heart, and the hands. And so I think if you use that as a gauge as to what you're aiming at, because I think we've all been in an environment where we've been with what I call the rambling man, right? And you leave and you go, that was an hour of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> And if you put a gun to my head right now and said, what did he say or she say? I don't have a clue. I have no idea. You know why? Because they didn't name it. They had no idea what they were going at. And most of the time, I can tell if someone has aimed it within two or three minutes of someone speaking. Because there's a lot of the uhs and the oh yeah and before I forget and why? Because we, I don't know where I'm aimed. I don't know what I want to accomplish with this. So name it, aim it, frame it.
And, uh, and then the last thing is um, proclaim it. This is just practical stuff of the actual act, if, if it's a formal address or anything. Um, posture, passion, points, proof, and then people. Um, posture is massively important. Uh, you communicate before you ever communicate. Before you ever say a word, you're communicating. So let's say you have to have a confrontational um, discussion with an employee and you call them into your office. Well, immediately you're behind the big desk and they're on the other side of it, so they're nervous. And then your arms are crossed. That shows a defensive posture. You haven't said anything. They've just walked in your office. You're communicating way before you communicate. And so there's, there's all types of cognitive things when it comes to posture. Um, the second thing is passion. This is difficult to try to teach about because that's got to come from somewhere. There's a great story told of the uh, evangelist George Whitfield, who was a part of the First Great Awakening and really influenced the founding fathers here in the U.S. But um, he, he came over to the States and was preaching a revival and Benjamin Franklin, who a lot of people don't know, was sort of a theist, not an outspoken Christian, but loved to listen to George Whitfield. And Benjamin Franklin told his secretary, I'm going to be gone for the day. I'm going to go listen to the great evangelist Whitfield preach. And his secretary said, why? You don't believe anything that he preaches. And Benjamin Franklin says, I don't, but he does. That's awesome, right? People know if you're excited. They just know. It's, there's a gauge that we have. And so whatever requires of you to do that, um, you've got to show that passion. But passion's sort of like the volume knob. You've, you, you've got to be careful with it. And um, a lot of times that happens in the moment. Um, Robert De Niro, or I'm sorry, Al Pacino was interviewed in Rolling Stone magazine when he came out with a movie. And he had been doing a lot of stuff on Broadway. And they said, do you like doing film acting or stage acting? And he said, I like doing stage acting because stage acting is just the moment. And then the moment's gone, right? The film, it's edited, there's the sound, there's all this. He said, but man, when I'm delivering something in the moment of the play and it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> Oftentimes, passions like that, it happens in the moment. Um, points. If, if, if you're giving an address and you say, hey, I have three things to tell you today about auto insurance, or I have three things today in this safety course that I have to tell you about, or, hey, we've got two new, men, uh, two new items on our menu, um, anytime I go anywhere and I listen to another preacher and he says, I've got three points today, and he gives me one, and then he prays and his sermon's over, I'm, I almost have an anxiety attack, right? I'm like, what are the other two? It's like a great mystery. So I, I only put that on there to say if you have a, um, a speech or a lecture or a discussion that requires points, say your points and give your points, okay? Um, proof, this is very effective. So the art of rhetoric is actually what we're talking about if you took a course on communicating. Um, rhetor rhetoric and the argument is, is what the Greeks talked about. So we think an argument is something negative, but actually it's the, the proper term for communicating. Effective communicators know what their listeners are disagreeing with them about as they're speaking, and they're revealing that, and then they're shooting those arguments down. So, hey, I'm, you know, I'm glad you came in today. 
you know, um, we want you to transfer your funds over here. You know, we think we are a pretty effective insurance company. And as you start talking about your insurance company and you know where they've come from and some of the benefits that the other insurance company offers, you could say very simply, yeah, you know, I know so-and-so offered, and that's great, that's awesome. And one of the good things about that is this will actually save you money down the road. But where we're different is we're able to actually X, Y, and Z. So what you've done is you, you've given proof of what you're talking about and you've sort of shot down that argument. And then the last things people, like I know that sounds redundant, but I know a ton of, I, I run in this circle of, of pastors and preachers who on Sunday morning are preaching to their seminary professors and not the people in front of them. And so, it, it, I mean, even if you're talking in a one-on-one conversation, we're human beings, they're still other people in our brain at times, right? And so talk to the people that, that are in front of you sort of in that moment. Um, and then here are a few just last bit of extras. Um, story is king. Here's what I mean by that. Um, statistics are statistics, right? They're numbers, but story is king. And so if you have, a give, if you have to give a presentation that involves a large amount of statistics, and I would actually um, draw your attention today. Am I allowed to talk about that? What's getting dropped today through Black River Medical? Yeah, um, B- Black River Medical is dropping a video that Smart Marketing did about the opioid epidemic that's taking place. And there's stats in there, but there's a story. And what a story does is it makes it personal. And so when you talk about, you know, four kids will go to bed tonight hungry. I'm, I'm just making that up. You know, um, but what if you but what if you knew the story about Susie and you told her story? Now that statistic, it becomes real in that sense. So story is always king. And what's interesting now is Steve Galloway in his book four about Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google, investors now, the number one question 10 years ago was what's my ROI? What's my return on investment, right? How can I make money? They're not asking that anymore. (coughs) They're asking, what's your story? Who are you? What's the difference you're going to make? Story is always king. Um, The next thing, clarity always beats creativity, okay? Um, That's why the PowerPoint's black and white and yellow, all right? It doesn't have all these spinning because I'm not, like, super creative or anything like that. Be clear. Um, I would challenge you to look at, I just read this article the other day, high-end fashion companies now. Look at their logos. They're like block letters, black, white, just clean, simple. I mean, back in the day, it was all crazy designs and flashy colors and all that. No, why? Just clear. So instead of trying to be overly creative in a presentation or a discussion, just land on clear because being clear always wins. And then the last thing is this, find your voice by listening to other voices. If you have to talk um, a lot and give presentations or do anything like that, listen to other people, like I said, comedians or anything like that, and um, find your voice by listening to other voices. And I think when you do that, um, it's really helpful. And so um, one of the things I do want to land on is the last time we did this, a lot of people had questions about how do you have a one-on-one conversation or confrontation with a single employee or an individual. 
And I thought a lot about that. And I remembered in a book that I read about one-on-one conflict, there are three things to do in a one-on-one conversation. Connect, correct, and then redirect. Okay, so, so, if, so if you have to have a one-on-one confrontational conversation with an employee or anything like that, remember, communication is the art of delivering information in such a way that produces transformation. That's true if you're Dr. Martin Luther King at the feet of Abraham Lincoln saying, I have a dream, or that's true if you're across the table with an employee that you have to kind of correct. The idea of con- <coughs> connecting is massively impo- uh, important because when you connect, they're a person right? And they know if you're connecting or not. So um, it's whatever information you know about them, whatever story, how are you doing, any of those things. Connect, then correct. That's the information, right? Hey, we're lacking in this area. We need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to do this. Correct. Then redirect. Oftentimes, what separates a good boss from a great boss, a good boss connects and corrects. But then you're still left with, man, am I still like, how am I doing? What else do I need to do? A great boss redirects. So it's, hey, you, you put all this energy in doing this. That was great. I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and then implement that over here, and then redirect. And so I think when it comes to one-on-one communication with that, that's a big, big deal. As I close, um, I've got some books up here. These books are fantastic. Um, Jay Henricks uh, is speaks at Harvard about communicating. Uh, Talk Like TED, TED Talks, that goes along with this last one, Find Your Voice by Listening to Other Voices. TED Talk, I mean, you can learn about neuroscience in 13 minutes. Like, it's unbelievable what they're able to do. So I would listen to those all the time. And then I've got um, some business cards up here for whatever purpose, (laughs) if you want to connect or anything like that. I know that was like out of a fire hydrant, but um, any, any basic questions or anything or your line of work or any questions about anything at all, please ask them now. Come on, guys. What about being nervous? What do you, what do, you do or do you get nervous? Yeah. Um, so I think public speaking is like weightlifting. Um, the more you do it, the stronger you get. So if you have, if you're, I mean, petrified. And what we're learning about is one of the top three phobias in the world. People would rather hold a snake and jump out of a plane than stand up in front of people and talk. I mean, really, when you do a census, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and so, um, man, I think if it's even as simple as standing up at work and reading roll call or if you, if you can do the announcements at your church or any, any way that you can get up in front of people more and more and more, even at a simple level, is, is a big deal. I think there's two types of nervous. One's good and one's bad. If you're nervous about, man, gosh, I hope this is effective. I, I'm so passionate about this. I, man, I really want them to get this. That's a good nervous. If the other nervous is, Oh my gosh, do they hate the shirt that I'm wearing? I, I can't believe they're looking at me right now, the blemish on my face. Can they, that's all about you. You've lost your audience before you've, you've ever even spoken. One is about what you're trying to communicate, and the other one's about you. And so there's a self-centered nervous and then a good nervous. And so I think trying to get up in front of people as much as you can is, is absolutely effective. So 
and then try to avoid like caffeine stuff like that that makes you um, more nervous and so then you're freaking out and all that stuff so one of the things too is I learned this that um, so when you speak and you get nervous cortisol releases in your body which is the chemical of stress and so if you do that a lot you actually need to work out physically or exert yourself physically because when you work out it removes the cortisol from your body so I don't know if you do that a lot I just learned that last week and thought it was really cool so just sharing it with you guys so yeah for sure any other questions come on anything there is nothing off limits I nerd out I am passionate about this I love this um, all that stuff I could even tell you a type of deodorant to wear, certain dry, so you don't pit out whenever you stand up. And I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm all about this. I've been doing this for like a decade, man. So um, I have to deal with all kinds of stuff. So any other questions? Could you actually funnel a megaphone at the same time? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Dr. King did, right? So that was a... Um, I think the inaugural address was that. I think anybody, now you're in the big leagues when something like that happens. If you funnel and megaphone at the same time, that is a win, an absolute win. Because that's passion and information and application, and that's that perfect storm that's taking place. I don't think that you can do that apart from a formal lecture or public speaking um, because I think your audience or, or what you're doing forces you to funnel or megaphone one or the other but that's a good that's a good insight for sure yeah I think that's a what they call a home run <coughs> right yeah for sure how many of you guys your, your job requires you like what would be called formal speaking standing up in front of people or doing anything like that Awesome. And what are your backgrounds? Shout out. What do you do? Talk. It's okay. Insurance. Sales. Yeah. Sales. Retail. Retail. Management. Yeah. 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 Monument company. What's that? Monument company. Right. Yeah. Okay. Monument. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I saw you the other night. Right. Yeah. For sure. And insurance. Yeah. What do you... There you go. What do you find most difficult about your individual, what you do? So sales, um, all that. What's, what do you find the thing that you run into the most going, gosh, man, I wish this always keeps coming up? I can say great ideas that you want to communicate with your team, but mm. that you never really get the point across. Or mm. it's not clear enough. Okay. So you end up with the same result, maybe not getting to that point. Yeah. Where, so, so when you say like a great idea, a great idea that's going to, <coughs> that you're passionate about, mm -hmm. that you want to get across to your team, how often does that happen? Multiple times a day. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so, then, so something like that then, we could focus on pounding one nail. Rather than a bunch of Man, there's a bunch of things that we have to do. Let's do one thing incredibly well. And that's where the sticky sentence and stuff like that comes in. Um, I mean, I remember when I worked at Penny's and they did the ICAP and the credit card sales and stuff um, that we did. Eric had a, a jingle that we had. And I can't, 
I'm kind of disproving my point, but he had something that was said every time that we did it. And um, that, that just spread throughout the rest of the employees. You know, it was, we knew what that was. Language creates culture. So yeah, those things are important. Anybody else, any other questions? Yeah, I've met some people who are great from stage or giving a speech, and then when you talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, they, uh, they're almost antisocial or whatever. You know, I've met, seen a lot of that. But I think connecting with people one-on-one, -on -one, establishing some, some common ground, and just, um, you know, I've heard form, family, occupation, recreation, message, you know? Yeah. And that's what, like, my son, well, how do I talk to girls? Well, you know. Yeah. Connect. You say, oh, how's your family? Do you have a brother? Or, you know, is, is that right. your dad? Or is that, you know, and you're occupied. What do you do? How's your classes going? What are you taking this? You know, recreation. What do you like to do for fun? Like, yep. You know, to connect <coughs> one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So a couple years ago, Time Magazine released an article that said that that generation at the time, and it's only getting worse, are the worst job interviewers each year because they're growing up in homes where mom is in the other room and mom texts them and says, come here. Well, what are you doing? You're creating an environment where face-to-face -face is of no value anymore. And so when they go into a job interview and they sit down, they go, what are you good at? I don't know. What do you love to do? Stuff. But if you got them behind a screen, they would come alive, right? And so one of the things that's difficult that, that we have to keep doing, and I think that will never go away. If you give me somebody who is technologically advanced and all of this, but has a poor one-on-one -on -one personality, they will hit a glass ceiling. But if you give me someone who knows people and knows how to communicate and is trusted by people to talk to, I, I don't care what their education is, that person will go further than the other person. And so the one-on-one -on -one is, is huge on that. And those are important practices. You know, it's just difficult. It's hard because it's so much easier to text your kid, <laughs> right? Rather than to force the conversation, you know? So, yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, right? <laughs> Any other questions? I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you guys so much for coming through. Feel free to snap a picture of these photos or anything like that. I've got my business cards. If you've got a talk coming up or a paper that you're writing or anything like that, um, I would love. Send it to me in an email. I'd love to read it. That'd be fantastic, and we could work on that. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to this stuff. Like. Some people hunt and fish and all that, and I watch TED Talks. So, you know, that's just what it is. So, love you guys. Thank you guys so much for coming out, and enjoy the rest of your day, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you learned something there that's going to help you market smarter, not harder. If you have any marketing needs that you need help with, feel free to reach out to us at smartmarketingpb.com. That's smartmarketingpb.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you around next time.